0: Hey, everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Hey, everybody, this is Jim. Welcome to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. It's so good to be back here. It's been way too long, and I know at the end of every podcast, or at least the last few, I said that uh, I was hoping to be back sooner uh, than later next time, but I guess later is better than not at all, right? So anyway, it's really good to be here today. Today is we're we're nearing the end of another month, the end of March. Almost a quarter of the way through 2019. It's incredible how quickly the time goes by. And uh like a lot of people I was um following what's what's been happening in the media, on the news over the last uh several weeks. And uh it it just seems like Especially the last few weeks, this is just, you know, me talking about my own personal experience, but it just seems like I was going from one activity to the next, to the next, to the next. And the only peaceful time that I had, what I mean by peaceful time is um, the Bible says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. So the old King James Version way of saying that. If you keep on thinking about God, if you keep on focusing on him, you'll be at peace. There's something about whatever we give our attention to, whatever type of uh, focus we have, that's what we get back. It's almost like a mirror. It's almost like, um, you know, you, you sow and you reap. So if you sow your focus into good things, then you reap the result of having sown that kind of focus if you sow your focus into troubling things or scattered things, and, and, and that's what comes back. That's what you reap. And we do this unconsciously. And so I was noticing over the uh, past several weeks that the times when I had the most peace during the day was in when I first got up, as long as I wasn't hurried or had you know, something that I had to do immediately. And usually that meant I was up pretty early and everything is quiet. And, and you have your thoughts. And if you turn your thoughts immediately uh, to God and start thinking about uh, the goodness of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God and the love of God, it has a way of, of taking the edge off of those thoughts of what you have uh, set before you in, in the day. And then again at night, I mean, there's this time where I have personally where I like to listen to the Bible uh, being read and, uh, or, or just reading it myself. And sometimes I, I use a Kindle to do that because I can just put it down in the chair next to me, or, uh, I could just lay there in the bed and, and listen to these scriptures being read or other times for, um, whatever reason, it's easier just to open a physical Bible up and read it and, and just chew on some good thoughts mentally. Uh, but then again, that was at night after the day was already gone. So it was almost like running a race where, um, have you ever seen the NASCAR where they you know, they're going around the track and around the track and there's just a bunch of noise and then when they do pull in to have some tires changed or to refuel their pit stop and, you know, somebody cleans off the windshield. I mean they're only they're only on the side of the road for a matter of seconds before they're back in the race again. And and sometimes the the day feels like that where you have a, a spiritual pit stop. Maybe it's not even a spiritual one, it's just the time where you you get away and you get a little bit of quiet time and you reevaluate a few things and then you're right back in the race again. And so, um, I, and I notice it's different when you're in one place all the time as opposed to traveling. So for example, in, in, uh, what I do, I do some consulting work. So if I get in the car and I'm traveling to meet a client, the time between I leave where I'm at to where I'm going, there's the trip. And that that time can be almost therapeutic. Yeah, you're thinking about what you have to do, but um, it's it's time where your where your thoughts maybe are. Uh, it's a little easier to control them. Uh, it, it's a little easier to pray and ask God for uh, guidance and to lead you into whatever is coming next. And then when the meeting is over, when I return, it's usually a, a pretty good feeling for me where something good has been accomplished. As opposed to being in the same place for a good chunk of the day, and it really, you know, it's it's worse, of course, if you're in a in a busy office in some ways. Um, But you know, if if you're in a home office, which a lot of people are these days, or you work from home or something like that, you you know, you're very close to your work all the time. You're very close to the noise all the time. Um, So whether your noise comes through the inbox or a computer or um, the TV, wherever it's coming from, you know, that you have to purposely step away from it. Sometimes it just doesn't happen naturally. You know, if you have to go in a, in a car and take a drive uh, down the street or something like that, there's a natural break that occurs with a change of scenery. But when the, when the scenery is the same, you know, it's, you have to do it. You have to create your own break from that. You have to create your own disconnect. Sometimes I actually just take a walk outside, uh, to do that. But so anyway, I wanted to read a a few scriptures to you because this, you know, I think about all of the names I could have given to this podcast when I first uh, believed that God was inspiring me to start it. And I started thinking about all of the people out there that are just caught in this cycle of tests and trials in life. And the tests and trials of life come to everyone. But the good thing is the Bible says, that God always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. And the nice thing about that is we can triumph in the here and now. It's not just when we leave this place that the ultimate, yeah, that is the ultimate triumph, leaving this place, overcoming death, and being in the presence of God forever. I'm sure that when we're there and when we look back, um, we'll be able to say uh, what Paul said, that our, our light affliction which is but for a moment works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And this is a guy who spent a day in the uh, night in the deep, in a shipwreck. He was beaten, chased by mobs. Uh, just one thing after another happened. And, and it's good that I'm, that I'm trying to focus on that right now because um, this was a man who was close to God and look what happened. You know, sometimes I think that there we have a disconnect because we believe that God is good, but it's easy to get mad at God when you when your mindset is in this place where you recognize that God is is Almighty. I mean, He can create something out of nothing. Uh, he can create a miraculous breakthrough where one moment you're in one situation and the next it's totally different. And you have the victory. And the realization that that's possible, coupled with the realization that that hasn't happened yet, can be very discouraging. It can be very um, overwhelming in a sense that we feel trapped. And when you listen to somebody preach or teach, <clears throat> or somebody's trying to encourage you or sharing their testimony, a lot of times we feel that, hey, you know what, that's really great, and it's good that that happened for that person, but you have that feeling like you're, you're being left out, like you're not part of that. You're on the outside looking in. So I want to uh, share some scriptures with you and a few stories with you today, and ha- have I felt like that? Absolutely. It's impossible to be human and not feel that way. And so, what I what I believe is, and this is what you have to recognize: people ask the question, "How can God be good and still allow all of this evil to happen?" Well, when you're in the midst of a situation and you don't have the, um, let me just call it the sixty thousand foot view, um, when you can't see the whole battlefield, you can't see the the end. Right? We we see the end in the Bible. What happens? We see that. Anybody who has been, um, we see there's justice. I guess that's really what I wanted to say. This justice does happen now because we don't always see it play out with certain people in our lifetime. You know, the Bible shows us what happens behind the scenes. It shows us the end. Nobody gets away with anything, and the the people that God, God's children, His sons and His daughters. I mean, what they receive is so far above anything that they've suffered that um, w- when we get there, we'll probably be embarrassed that we ever complained about anything. Um, and, and so you know, the Bible talks about um, sharing these truths with one another because they, they create hope and you need hope. Hope is seeing a positive outcome. Without hope, if you can't see a positive outcome, the Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so sometimes the only place that you can see hope is in in the spirit, right in the Bible, because if you look around you, there's nothing there. It seems like the opposite is true. <clears throat> it seems like evil is just running over good, and it seems like good is always getting the shorter end of the of the deal of the stick. So, um, but so I I. I Given this a lot of thought, I really have, and, and the, some of the conclusions that I've come to. That these are my personal conclusions based on um, not just experience, because experience is is more limited than than I think we even realize. But in the light of the Bible, of what the Bible shows, when you see complete lives played out within the pages of the Bible, and they're beginning, their middle, and and their end. You can see their successes and their failures, and you can see the intervention of God. Um, and and you can see it even in the life of Jesus, that God was limited by the choices that people made. That God was limited in what he could do because people made certain choices. And we see that especially true in the Old Testament. Now in the New Testament, it's not quite as evident because it's almost like the when you read the New Testament, you're reading something playing out in the present, where when you read the Old Testament, it's like the stories were penned after the fact. But when you read the New Testament, sometimes it feels like, especially when you're reading the letters, that this is happening right here, right now. And so we don't always know what happened next. You know, Paul is talking about what just happened to him in his letters. Peter's talking about um, something happening right there in his time, as opposed to when when you're reading the the Book of Genesis or Exodus and you know, most of those books um, that are credited to Moses, the first five books of the Bible, you're reading those, and you're reading about something that happened way back when, even even in his time. You know, you're reading about Adam and Eve and the creation and and uh, all of these wars. Um, eventually, you start reading about, but it's after the fact. And when you read the New Testament, you're realizing that hey, these people are in the fire right here, right now. Um, this man is writing a a letter from. Um, From jail or this mob attacked them not you know maybe a a few months ago these these things were actually playing out and so um when when you when you couple these things together you can see even in the uh, ministry of jesus how um there 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 were rules in place you know jesus came to his own hometown and says he couldn't do any mighty work there because of their unbelief, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people to heal them. Right? Jesus couldn't do any mighty works. doesn't say he wouldn't do. It says he couldn't do because of their unbelief. Um, when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration and his disciples were trying to cast out that spirit out of the, the boy, the boy's father brought him to the disciples and said, my son casts himself down into the fire and, and uh, gnashes his teeth and and does all these things, and I I brought him to your disciples to see if you could cast the spirit out, but they couldn't, you know. And Jesus said, "Oh, faithless generation, how long will I be with you?" I mean, what what more depth could you make in a statement than what he said right there? Oh, oh faithless generation, right, unbelieving, and he said, um, "The father said, if if you can do anything, have mercy on us and help us, and." Jesus' response is, if you can believe, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. And then it says, the father cried out and said, Lord, I, I believe, help thou my unbelief. I, how many of us are in that situation right here, right now? right where, where you're crying out to God and you're saying, God, if you can do anything to help us with our finances or with our job or with our work, uh, help us. Right. And, and, and this story plays out, it's not what God can do. It's what you can believe. Now, when you take that, when you take that and you separate it from the other truths of the Bible, it seems to put all of the, all of the responsibility on your shoulders, you know, but, but, you know, you read other scriptures, like, for example, um, in John's gospel around chapter 15, 16, where Jesus says, um, and, and John 14 through 16, um, I, I love those those chapters in the Gospel of John. There's just something about reading the words in red that go on and on and on and on. They just there's something in there for everybody. And you know what's coming out of the mouth of Jesus, right? Because the Bible has it in red. Well, <clears throat> the point I guess I'm trying to make is that um, he said that without me you can do nothing. So we have we have two realities going on here. Um, we have responsibilities, and we need God, and both of them coexist together like two sides of the same coin. In other words, we have to take action. We have to believe, but yet we can't believe without God's help. We can't overcome unbelief without God's help. The Father cried out, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And the Bible says that all of the people came running together, and Jesus rebuked the spirit, and the spirit threw him down. People thought the boy was dead, and the next moment he raised him up, took him by the hand, raised him up, and he was totally healed from that hour. The disciples came to Jesus afterward, and they said, why couldn't we do it? Why didn't it work for us? And he says, because of your unbelief. Now, one of the <clears throat> one of the translations, and this is the only place it says it in the entire New Testament, says, This kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And I I really believe years later, after having read this so many times and seen that, well, if this, if fasting and prayer is needed to cast out a spirit, then why isn't it mentioned any more times in, in the New Testament? Faith is needed. And it's mentioned over and over and over again. Faith is needed. Belief is needed. Unbelief causes all manner of bad things to happen. That's mentioned over and over and over again. And so my interpretation of that scripture has changed over time to mean this kind is talking about this kind of unbelief. You know, there's different kinds of unbelief. Isn't there? Because think about it. The the same uh, faith that the disciples came back and said, Lord, even the demons are subject uh, to us in your name. They had all these successes, but yet with this boy, they were faced with a different kind of unbelief because it's the first time it didn't work. It's the first time they ever asked, Lord, why didn't this work for us? Why couldn't we do it? And Jesus said, because of your unbelief, how be it this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting affects the person who's doing the praying and doing the fasting. If you have a a demon possessed person um, and they are uh, on the other side of the room, <laughs> on the other side of the street, on the other side of the town, your prayers, which is you're talking to God, and your fasting is affecting you physically and mentally. It's not affecting that other person at all. I mean, Jesus did a lot of praying. He did it in the morning. It was his communication with God, and then he went out in the day, and, some, and he did it also at night. He got away from the crowds and he went and prayed, sometimes all night long in the Garden of Gethsemane before he faced the the most critical point in his whole mission, going to the cross. He prayed and what happened with the disciples? They fell asleep. So you you can see then that prayer and fasting, I mean, if you're praying and you skip a meal because you're focusing on God, and I've fasted before. The longest I've ever fasted was about a week. Where all I had was like water, and it's interesting the effects of the body on your focus, on your mind, on your intention. The weaker your body is, the easier the easier it was for me to focus spiritually. You know, and and the um, doubt seemed less real and faith seemed more real when uh, during that period of fasting. Let me say that again. <clears throat> when I fasted in the past. And I've only done it extreme once. And to me, seven days was extreme. And the only reason why I did it, to be honest with you, wasn't because I had this great spirituality type of thing going on. It was because I had um, strep throat at the time and had trouble eating. So I figured, you know what? I'm in this position right now. Let me pray and just drink water and seek God and see how it happens. And it was amazing all of the things that had distracted me lost their appeal. And once something that's distracting you loses its appeal, you're able to focus on God. Have you ever noticed sometimes that it's really hard to pray, that your mind is going towards other things like what you need to do an hour from now or what you just did or what somebody might be thinking somewhere or a problem? You start looking at problems while you're trying to pray or your, your mind, the unbelief starts to kick in and God's not really hearing you or, you know, you've got uh, things in your life that is blocking. All all of these things come up that basically make you feel like you're wasting your time, right? Fasting does away with that. Now, you don't have to fast to get to the point where you're, you're in harmony with God, but it helps. It really does help. So it, it would be like saying, you know what? You don't have to go in this. Take a do a full exercise program to get in shape. You don't have to do that. There's other ways you can get in shape, but it helps. You understand? Do you understand the the connection between the two? In other words, you you don't have to set an hour of exercise aside a day, and uh, you know do the push ups, pull ups, and the cardio and all that. But it helps. I mean, for years, people just worked outside. They didn't have exercise programs. And that's how they stayed conditioned. They walked places, you know, they did some manual work every day, you know, and all those things helped them. Recently, I heard an interview with centurions from the nineteen early 1900s that was recorded, maybe like 1915 or something like that. And it was really interesting listening to these people talk about what it was like a hundred years before so we're talking about from 1915 they were born in the early 1800s and uh and yeah it was something to talk about certain wars with indians and 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 certain historical battles and and uh yeah hearing them say all of these things was and and you know what it's incredible how much history has been rewritten or taught differently you listen to some of these people. Let me just give you an example. I know this is kind of off the subject, but I just want to put this out there. The reason why um the the uh, oral tradition. The only people that had a good oral tradition were the were the Israelites. Right? And and probably because if if you were at that at the mountain where the 10 commandments came down and you saw the thunders and the lightnings and the cloud and the fire, you know the cloud by day, the fire by night. You saw all these miraculous miracles, and you know that the judgment was swift and immediate in that time. You know, and so when God spoke, you were very careful to put down exactly what He said, exactly what He said, and not put your own interpretation on it. Today, people have no pr- trouble putting their own interpretation on things. But I remember hearing this guy in, in this interview when he was talking about John Wilkes Booth, and he said it at the day. At the time, it was common knowledge throughout the entire country that John Wilkes Booth was not killed in that burning barn like history teaches it today. That Southern sympathizers had basically kept him um, on the move. And I know this sounds like a conspiracy theory. I know it does. But just consider this. One of the uh, top conspiracies of our time was, of course, the shooting of JFK back in 1963. And, um, you know, the, the single gunman theory was believed by an entire uh, populace at the time. You know, people swore to it. They had the experts and everything. And, and now more people than not believe that it was a pretty uh, deep conspiracy involving a lot of people on high levels. Now, who those people were is really irrelevant. What I'm basically saying is, is that whoever's writing the books can write them any way really they want to write them. You know, And if we didn't have mass communications today, it would be easier to control the narrative. But um, looking on that, yeah, they, they said that, that, that everybody knew it was common knowledge that John Wilkes Booth wasn't killed, that he wound up committing suicide years later um, after bouncing from place to place to place. In the diaries of his sister that were found, she talks about how she came across him the last time I guess some 20-something years after um, Lincoln was assassinated and he was uh, sick at the time and had all various diseases that he was wrestling with. The doctor who uh, dealt with him, a Southern doctor, the people that gave him money, all, all of these things came out afterward, allegedly, and you know it was just the information was suppressed. So anyway, that's enough of that. Let's get back to the spiritual side. So the spiritual side, what I'm trying to say is that um, when you when you look in the Bible and you look at the different lives and the people that went through all of these things, you can see that they had their part to do, and sometimes they just didn't do it. Let Let me give you an example. So the Bible says that uh, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble, in James chapter four, verses six through seven. God gives more grace. So it says, submit yourself, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. <clears throat> now, according to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 16, verse number 9, it, it basically says the, the same thing there. Now, a lot of times people are just really self-dependent. You know, I mean, they pray and everything, but they're really depending on their own efforts. They're not depending on God. You see if you're depending on God it doesn't mean that you're you're not doing anything yourself. Right? You do everything you need you need to do, but you don't depend on your efforts to get you there because that'll just work, that that works for a very frustrating life. But when you're self-dependent, you're filled with worry and anxiety because if there's nothing else you can do then then you're in trouble. That's how you see it. Uh, but if you're God-dependent, you realize that you're still responsible to do something, to take action. Faith without corresponding action is dead. There was a story in the Old Testament, you know, about the lepers. Uh, there was a famine in Israel at the time, and and there was a great army uh, heading their way, and they were kind of in the middle, and they basically came to the conclusion, why should we sit here until we die? If we go back that way, there's no food there, we die. If we go forward. Um, you know, and face this army, we die. but if we just sit here, we die too. And so they trusted God and they moved forward and God caused a miracle to happen. So um, you know, humility is being dependent on God, but it's not just sitting back on the couch and 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 then wringing your hands because God hasn't showed up yet. It's like doing what you know to do. Think about all of the people in who got healed in jesus's ministry right the blind men by the roadside they cried out that's what they could do Right? they didn't if they sat there being quiet they never would have got jesus's attention they never would have got the disciples attention and you could say yeah well that was just god's will that it happened that way but they still had to take action right the lepers that came beseeching jesus what happened with them again they cried out they asked for help everybody who came to him got healed so you might be thinking, well, yeah, I'm coming to him. But see, the, the difference is, is, is that like, like the man um, who brought his son to the disciples, you might be thinking, Lord, if you can do anything, help me. Because we don't have Jesus physically in front of us right now. And The good thing about that is that we, wherever you are, he is if you believe. What I mean by that is, what is, the, what is the, the, the great secret of the New Testament? What is one of the greatest secrets of the New Testament? God in you. God in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is in you. Christ is in you. You're seated with him. He's in him. He's in you. You're in him. Right. We are in Christ. So location isn't, a, isn't an issue anymore. How many times have you thought, oh my gosh, it would be so easy if Jesus were here? If I could see him. And, and basically what we're saying when we say that is, I really don't believe he's here unless I can see him. I'm really not going to believe that the power is just as, as powerful um, with him not being visible as it is with him being visible. In other words, if if, um, if we can see Jesus and see the holes in his hands, like Thomas did, and touch him, then we have overcome, if we can do that, an entire plethora of unbelief will leave us once we can see him. But what does the Bible say? Blessed are those who who believe and yet not seen. When when Thomas saw Jesus and touched him and put his hand in his side, what did he do? He fell at his feet and said, oh my Lord, my God. Like now, now I, I can believe at that point that there was a whole bunch of unbelief he never had to wrestle with again going forward in his life as a result of that one experience. Right? But, but, you know, when you look at somebody like you and I, I mean, is Jesus any less here? Didn't he say, I'd never leave you nor forsake you? Well, you have to believe that. You have to choose to believe it. So throughout my life, I have experienced God's power at work in my life in, in tangible visible ways. And 99 out of 100 times, 99% of the time, it always came after a struggle. Right? And the Bible talks, it doesn't focus on instant, you know, the New Testament focuses on instant miracles. You know, because I guess when Jesus touched most people, when they heard this guy, this guy is uh, cleansing lepers and he's healing the maimed and healing the sick and all of these things are happening. And he's even raising the dead. When you hear all that, it inspires faith, right? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I mean, even if you didn't believe he was the son of God, there'd be something in you that would say, hey, you know what? If I can get to this guy, maybe my problem would be solved. The woman with the issue of blood, what was her response to hearing about Jesus? She pressed through the crowd you think that was easy? No, it's not easy. So so for us here today, when you look at all those people, it seems so easy because we're just reading it in a book, but we don't know what they went through to get there. We don't know what they wrestled with, but they were as human as you and I are. And so your own pushing yourself through the crowd, your own crying out involves one element that you have to hold on to and, and never lose sight of this fact is, is, I'm talking about not giving up. Jesus himself said out of his own mouth in Luke 18.1, men are always to pray and not to faint. The Amplified Version says to cave in and give up. But we look at examples in the life of people in the Bible. One, A good one is in Second Chronicles chapter um, 16, and you can read about King Asa and his problems. At that time the kingdom of Israel was broken into two parts. The northern 10 tribes were called Israel and the two southern tribes were called Judah. Right so the country is broken up into two parts. Asa was the king over the south over Judah and the king of Israel to the north came against him and began to build the town called Rama. And that town had a strategic location where they could cut off Judah's supplies and prevent any communication with any other country. And the king of Israel did that to help try and bring about Judah's defeat. And the Bible says that the king of Israel of the north uh, built Ramah and began a siege and that King Asa took all the gold and the treasures that were in the house of the Lord, all of his wealth, and he sent it to uh, a guy named Ben-Hadad, who was the king of Syria, with a message. And he said, let there be a league between us and you. And he said, go in and attack Israel. And the idea here was that if Israel was busy fighting Syria, they wouldn't be able to fight Judah. So what this Ben-Hadad did is he took all of the treasures, he did what Asa uh, requested, and he attacked the king of Israel. Right. So, so the king of Israel had to abandon his siege of Judah and he discontinued building the town. Now, if you listen to that, you think, well, you know what? That's just doing what he knew how to do. But, but the thing here is, who are you dependent on? Who are you dependent on? Right? And, and so when this happened, the king commanded all of his people to go to this town that was being built, Rama, and scatter all the stones that were being used to build it. Right, so basically he destroyed everything that the king of Israel was, was doing there. And and so from a natural standpoint, Asa basically won the battle without having to go in war. There was no cost in life and or, or anything like that. And that's how he got out of his problem. But listen to what listen to what God said when he did that. In second chronicles chapter 16, verses seven and eight it says, And at that time Hanani the seer right, the prophet, God's voice on the earth at the time, one of them, came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, because thou hast relied on the king of Syria and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubbans a huge host with very many chariots and horsemen yet? Because thou didst rely on the Lord." He delivered them into thy hand. So it's almost like saying, remember in the past when I did this for you, when I delivered, what, Why? what's changed about the present, about this situation? You know, we always, we always look at what we're facing now and it's, oh, this is different. Yeah, yeah, God delivered me. God helped me in the past. But this is different. You don't understand, right? And, and, and keep in mind, if you just look back a few verses in this story, like Second Chronicles uh, chapter 14. You can read all, all about this. Just take, take a little bit of time. Uh, let, me, let me hit it here. It says, when, when Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God, for he took away the altars of strange gods and the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves and commanded Judah to seek the Lord of their fathers and do the law and the commandment, he also took out of all the cities of Judah the high priests and the images and the kingdom was quiet before him. In other words, he got rid of the evil that people were had become commonplace. Imagine if we did that today. Imagine if we did that in this country. Wow, it's like half the half the uh product movie production companies would go out of business because nobody would want to be watching that kind of entertainment anymore. Right? They'd be like, Oh, you know what? We need to get really get serious about getting right with God because we're not gonna be here forever. And we have problems and these little foxes get in through these things that well everybody else is doing it and this is how everybody else thinks and we allow we allow things and th- this isn't like um you know sometimes people feel like oh you're attacking me when you say things like that you're attacking people like us or whatever it has nothing to do with that it has to do with the evil and how it gets in how it sneaks into people's lives but um it says he burnt, he built fenced cities in judah for the land had rest and no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. And think about how much we try to figure out how to get a little bit of rest here in, the, in this in our time, in this life. And it says, Therefore he said unto Judah, Let us build these cities and make about them walls and towers and gates and bars, while the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him and he has given us rest on every side, so they built and prospered. Right. So prosperity and rest were di- a direct result of looking to God and depending on God. So for us today, you know, a lot of this is, it, it seems confusing to us because, you, well, what do I have to do? Right. It, it starts with your hard attitude. It starts with deep down inside, you know what, I haven't been depending on God and, and just asking God for forgi- to forgive you And Lord, show me what I have to do to get back on track. And then tomorrow when you get up, you don't forget about that prayer and just go back to the way it was the day before that. You know, you just keep on every day. You show me, Lord. And God will show you in little things. Sometimes it doesn't come all at once. Sometimes it's just a little insight here and there. And then you begin to realize that, hey, you know, it's God that's in this, God's in this still small voice, in this still small thought that just came to me. And you can tell it's God because it's different from all the other thoughts. You know? And and, and your mind will fight you. Your mind will say, oh, you know what? You have work to do. You need to be busy doing this and that. You need, you need to be building, making alliances. You know, but instead you do it the other way. You do it the other way. You seek God first. You depend on him. And then you do what you know to do, as long as the inspiration for the act isn't doubt and fear and unbelief. Instead, you do what you know to do, as long as fear is not the motivating factor behind the action. Right? You see a little bit of peace, and and you know sometimes you'll just wonder, like, right, is this thought from God or is this just something that I'm creating because that's how my mind works. And, and so you, what you need need to do is. If you can't get a, a, a clear-cut answer from that, then you just say, Lord, you know what? To the best of my ability, I think this is you, and uh, please redirect me if I'm not. God will honor that. If you just sit and do nothing and you wait for like the heavens to open, you'll be sitting here like 20 years from now if you're still alive, right? So you know, this is what it means to humble your, yourself uh, before God. The, the life of King Asa is just incredible. The things that he did. If you want to have God's best, then you have to decide to move in a totally different manner possibly than you're doing right now. You know, and it's something that, and I'm telling you this, I I first believed back in 1987, and I have to tell you something about about the time in the years, there's no such thing as learning the lesson once and you never have to learn it again. You know, the tests and the trials and things we go through in this time. You know, it's everyone is unique unto itself. And yesterday's yesterday's insights, I mean, you need fresh insights all the time. Right? It's just like the manna in the wilderness. Yesterday's manna couldn't feed you today. You needed fresh manna for today. It's like you need fresh revelation from God. You need a fresh touch from God today. So I just want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to just cry out whatever that means to you. It's nothing to do with the with the tone or the volume or the position. It's just in a way that's just between you and God. We're only God seeing you. You you go there and, and you start asking for some help. And you know you need help being consistent. Every single one of us does. Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. So you, you find that medium where, yeah, you're going to start taking some action instead of just sitting back and seeing what happens and getting mad because God hasn't intervened yet. You know, you know if you're seeking or not. There's no such thing as seeking God and not knowing it. You know whether you're doing it or not, and you know when you're not doing it. And so one of the things that helped me greatly in this area was keeping a journal. And, and I almost regret not having done it as much in recent years, but I would journal my thoughts throughout the day or in the middle of the day and it was easier to do when um, the stress was really on, you know, because at that point I knew that something was going to happen. It, it could either be good or bad, but it was going to happen soon, one way or another. There's something about that kind of immediacy that inspires you to look to God. When you know you might have six months before you have to do something, or, or nothing bad is going to happen immediately, then you kind of get lazy. I hate to say it, but you kind of get lazy, and and so it's almost like I have um, around the house here, there, we have these bricks and, and it's like a, a brick walkway. And between the bricks, these little green weeds always come up. And, you know, just when you're, you're done uh, cleaning them out, there's only like a few days where everything looks perfect. And then you got to go back to the beginning and then and get the latest weeds that are growing up. And so it's like continuous maintenance. But that's everybody. There's no such thing as getting to the place where you don't need continuous maintenance anymore. You know, the worst thing is, you know, you take a vacation. I mean, if you have a a spiritual experience, I don't know, uh, I don't, I'm not even going to describe it. Let's just say you are feeling like you are just on top of everything. You're feeling good. You're feeling powerful. You're feeling peaceful. Everything's going good. You know, it's like the enemy has been like running before your face in seven different directions. You know, you don't stay in that place forever. Maybe you'll be there a week, one month, maybe six months, maybe a year. But one day something happens and you realize that, you know what, here's another battle to fight. Right? So just get used to it. Just get, it's not going to, hey, you know what? We are here a short period of time. It's only a short period. It's on, it's only a season. You know, one day you'll look back at this and say, hey, you know what? That was a, such a fast season. It's kind of like when back in my school days, when I was there, it seemed like it was going to last forever. Now that I'm out, Well, it just seemed like if I would have focused a little harder, done a little bit better, it could have changed what happened next. Well, that's where we are, you and I right here today. Anyway, that's all I have for you. God bless you. Hey, it was great getting back on behind this mic here and and talking to you all. I hope this was a blessing to you. I hope it helped you. And pray for me. I, I need your prayers that I could come back and do this more than I'm doing now because not only does I know it helps everybody else but it helps me too because of all of the information that I share throughout the day all the stuff that I do in my business there's nothing like being with other people of of like-minded faith and being able to share things and and have the have a sense of connection uh with you even though you know maybe many of you I've never spoken to before or seen face to face but we know each other right? Because we have, this, we have the same spirit we've obtained like precious faith, like the Bible says. Anyway, God bless you. And uh, I hopefully I will talk to you again soon. And pray, pray that it be so.